You're listening to Life with Impact. Join us as we continue to rediscover the heart of Jesus together. Well, hey, Impact, thank you again for joining us. So July 4th weekend. So for starters, happy Independence Day. Man, it's it's an incredible to live in a free country and to be able to do this and serve God and, and live out our faith without the restraints or the restrictions of federal government. In fact, we live in, a, in a, the greatest country on planet Earth. And so it's an honor to be here and be able to share this openly. And that's because of the men and women way before me whose shoulders we stand on in order to have this freedom that we now possess. So if, for those of you that have served, fought combat, in fact, our very own student ministries pastor, Anthony Villa, combat veteran, did 20 plus years in the Marines. So it's men like Anthony that have gone before us to not only create the freedom, but to sustain and to defend the freedom that we have. So to those that have given so much, thank you so much. Happy Independence Day. I hope you have an incredible weekend remembering the price that was paid for this independence that we have. Hopefully a great time, fireworks, family, all of that. But this weekend in, our, in the campus here, since it's July 4th, we're kicking off a new series. We're calling it Summer Vibes. And we're going to start the, this series with a, a weekend of worship. So no child care, no student ministries. It'll just be our worship team up there singing some songs, some worship songs together. Actually, I just mentioned Anthony. Anthony will have many that went to Alaska with a missions trip on stage, giving a recap, talking about their trip, some of the cool things that God used them to do. So, so since there's no message this weekend, I started to think, what do I prepare for you that are still kind of connected and watching virtually? So... What I decided to do was to share a message that I gave last weekend. So last week here, virtually, Mike gave the message. Well, it was a message that he had preached months and months before, a message about living like Jesus. By now, I'm sure you heard the heartbreaking news, the bittersweet news. That it's heartbreaking for us that, that Mike passed away a week ago tomorrow, Wednesday morning, last Wednesday at 4.45 a.m. It's sweet news because he's now face-to-face -face with Jesus and never again will he wrestle any physical ailment whatsoever. In fact, I mentioned it last weekend in our services that Mike beat the heck out of a tumor because he's now completely healed and restored. So, but, but last week was an awesome weekend. It was a heavy weekend, but there was our worship center was completely packed full of people that get currently call Impact their church home and people that whose life Mike has influenced and impacted that just came in to celebrate with us and to be with family and to celebrate the life and legacy that Mike left. And so I want to share with you sort of a, an idea that, that, that came to me while I was at Mike's house. Before I get into that, I'll share a passage of scripture. We talked about hope this past weekend, and I want to try to reference hope today. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, it says, Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. They produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs what we see right now, and though that glory will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things that we now see will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. And another verse of Scripture, it's in Lamentations. And I read this verse because Lamentations, is the name of the book alone references that this is a book full of laments, hard things that men and women of God are crying out for. And this 
In verse 18 of, of Lamentations 3, it says, I cry out, my splendor is gone. Everything I hoped for from the Lord is lost. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. It says, I will never forget this awful time. And then here's how this passage kind of takes a corner. It says, Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. So I say to myself, The Lord is my inheritance, and therefore... I hope in him. I love that the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. And I, I talked this past weekend about inheritance and the inheritance that, that maybe was given to you when someone ahead of you passed away. And an inheritance is something you did nothing to earn. You didn't build it. You didn't purchase it. You didn't create it. You didn't launch that company. You didn't purchase that piece of land. You, you inherited that. And I talked about an inheritance that we have. Mike Vandedusen left other than his wife and his kids, his most joyful, prized possession. I guess it's not a possession, but the thing that he held dear, most dear to his heart is Impact Community Church. And he left us as an inheritance that we continue to be the beneficiaries of. And so may you and I rally together to do this thing that was at the center of Mike's heart. And that is to point people to the hope of Jesus. All the way up until the point when Mike breathed his last breath, Mike continued to say... I know God's using me because I'm not dead yet. I know God's using me because I'm not dead yet. He had hope that was greater than his circumstances. There's a there's a passage of scripture uh, in verse in Revelation chapter four that talks about when the elders go before Jesus and they lay their crowns at the feet of Jesus. We sing the song "We Fall Down." Number one, hoping that you and I someday get to heaven with crowns that we can use to give back to Jesus. And yesterday or Sunday when we were gathered together, we pictured in our heads that Mike face to face with Jesus was cashing in the crowns that he laid up in heaven by showing the hands and feet of Jesus to people like you and I. One of the things that got me thinking the most when I put this together was that time with Mike when I, I watched his body fail him. I watched... I watched his sight get worse and worse. I, I, I heard him talk about his inability to use his right arm and then his left arm and he couldn't walk. It started out he had this recliner and he, he his, 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 his geography of his life was, was comprised of a, a recliner, a medical hospital bed, and then a, a, head, headed to the bathroom. This triangular existence. What used to be a dude that loved to go biking and golfing, found himself unable to move outside of that that's that triangle of existence in his house. I watched Mike's body fail him and and as I would go over from month to month to month, I watched his ability to communicate fail him. His sense of humor became harder and harder to dig into and to see. I watched as the Mike's body fail him, but I tell you, church, I never ever ever watched Mike's hope fail him. One of the times his sister Brenda was at his house and and Brenda and Mike's wife, Amber, and their daughter, Nicole, and I were in the living room. We were talking about some of, it had been a hard few days in the Van der Dusen household. And, and Brenda said to me, she said, Dustin, when I get back to Southern California, I'm going to set a meeting with my pastor. I said, oh, that sounds like a good idea. And she said, I'm going to set a meeting with my pastor because I have a question to ask him. And she went on to say that her question is going to be, why do bad things happen to good people? I told Brenda that I'm glad I'm not her pastor because that's a hard question to try to answer. Last Sunday in church, I, I said that if we were to say, hey, next weekend we're going to preach a series and you can ask any question that you want and we're going to try to answer it. Friends, I bet you if we took in 100 answers at 30, 40, if not more of those would be the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? And when Brenda asked me that, watching her big brother just his life 
be lost right in front of her eyes, knowing Mike is a good man, it's a fair question. Why do bad things like this happen to good people? Why not the person who's bad, right? Why not the, the one, why, why, are, why do people that are bad people get healed from cancer or they, they recover from that thing? And then people that are such good people, we watch uh, the life be taken from them and it begs the question. And in fact, maybe it even challenges our faith. How could God allow such bad things to happen to such good people? So today, friends, I'm gonna try to answer that. I, I, I might fall short, but I'm going to do my best to share a revelation that, that I received that I want to just pass on to you guys. For starters, let's look at Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. Romans 3 says, No one is righteous, no, not even one. No one is truly wise, no one is seeking God. All have turned away, all have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Quite possibly the most depressing and discouraging verse in all of Scripture. No one is righteous. No one is wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good. Not a single one. And in fact, Paul, the guy that's accredited to the, the revivals that we read about in the New Testament. So many churches were started because of this dude, Paul. We understand deeply about the grace of God and the love of God because of the writings of Paul. And Paul says in 1 Timothy, he says, here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul goes on to say, I am proof that he came to save sinners because I'm public sinner number one. That's how the message writes it. Paul says, I'm public sinner number one. The guy accredited to doing so many incredible things in the storyline of God. Right after Jesus comes and is, is killed and is buried and is resurrected and the, the, the story of grace is presented to the world, Paul is credited to be one of the first people to go out and share the message of grace. Finally, allowing Gentiles and Jews to share in this same message of being reunited with God. That's Paul. And yet Paul says, I'm the worst sinner of them all. And then we read in Romans right before that, no one's righteous, no one's good, no, not one. So for starters, before we look at how do bad things happen to good people, we probably have to be honest and say there's no such thing as good people. There's no one that is righteous. In fact, that Romans chapter 3 verse, Romans chapter 3, that it's one of the first parts of what we call the Romans road. If you were raised in church like I was, maybe you've heard of the Romans road. It's like all these scripture verses throughout the book of Romans that, that talk, talk us through. We all are sinners. And the ones who realize that we're all sinners... Then we realize that we all need a Savior. And then we realize what Jesus did and all throughout the book of Romans. And then once we realize that we're all sinners and we all need a Savior, then we can accept Jesus. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the first part of understanding that we need a Savior is to realize, like Romans 3 tells us, that we can't be good enough. There's no one that could possibly be good enough. You can't need a Savior until you realize that you're broken and you're destitute and that you're full of sin. And so, friends... Before we answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people, we first have to be honest and say there's no such thing as good people. But there were at one time. And so I use this illustration on Sunday. I'll share it with you again today. So God, the great creator, the first, the first artist, Genesis tells us that the, the world was completely void. There was nothing in it. Nothing. There was no stars. There were no, no, no galaxies. There was no creation, no planet Earth, no water, no life form. And the Bible tells us, in the early parts of Genesis, that God began a creation process. And I'll start at the end. The last day, he created man and woman. And so we'll say this is God's creation, man and woman. You got Adam and Eve right there. I doubt Adam and Eve dressed like that. In fact, because they were perfect and they weren't ashamed of anything. They actually were naked, but for the sake of this, I'll keep them clothed. Albeit cheesy clothes, I'll still keep them clothed. So this, this was God's favorite creation. 
Man and woman, Adam and Eve. And the reason it was God's favorite creation is because God said that it was in his own image. So God made lots of things, right? Fish and, and cattle and he made stars and he made flowers. But all those things were just his handiwork. This represented his image. So man and woman was his favorite creation. And before he made Adam and Eve, he first gave them a, a beautiful place to live in. So he, he created bacon, right? This is a pig. I don't know how they cooked it, but he created bacon. He God created animals that they could rule. So they had dominion over the elephants. I don't know if that meant they could just jump up and say, hey, Dumbo, can I jump on your back? And they could swing on the back. I don't know if they're, maybe, maybe they had control of every single animal, maybe, perhaps, I, I don't know. But it, he get, God created plants that could sustain them. There's eggs, they could have breakfast right there. Actually, this would make a good scramble. Bell peppers and eggs and, and bacon, that sounds delicious. Again, just all around them was everything they needed to survive, right? vegetables and fruit, dairy. So in Genesis, we read that God made something that was perfect right here before sin entered the world. Romans 3 was null and void. It was invalid because God created it. And what God creates is perfect. God makes no mistakes. And so God said, this is perfect. In fact, if you read the, the account of, of, of creation, he says, after everything he created, he says, it is good. In essence, he looks back at his handiwork and he says, man, I killed that. I slayed that. I did a phenomenal job creating that. He said, this is a good creation. It's a perfect creation. And one of the things that he did in his perfection was to give man and woman, give me and you, the free will of whether or not to accept God. He could have given us a robotic spirit. And we'd have had no choice but to just worship him and praise him. In some ways, that's kind of what he did with the animals. The animals don't realize, this pig doesn't realize that every time he does what he was created to do, he's worshiping God. Every time he oinks, he's creating God. He's worshiping God because it's what he was created to do. He doesn't get... He wasn't given the free will to not do what he was created to do. But friends, Adam and Eve and me and you, we were given free will to decide whether or not we wanted to obey God. And free will is a perfect gift to us because that way we weren't robotic. We were given the choice to choose to love our creator. John 10.10 10 is a verse I reference here quite a bit because I want you and me to be constantly reminded that we have an adversary who hates our guts. We have an enemy, his name is Satan, and he hates the fact that you and I might amount to something that could influence those around us and point them to Jesus. And if he can derail you and I, then he derails sometimes the work that we have the opportunity to do. And so Satan hates us. And John 10.10 10 says that the thief, referencing Satan, he comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. Since the, since the beginning of earth, our adversary, Satan, in John 10, 10, referenced as the thief, comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. And he's been doing it since this right here, because this right here is perfect. This is good. And then Satan comes along and he tells Adam, he says, Adam, hey, man, like for real though, what's the deal with that tree of good and evil? What's God not telling you? Well, hey, Eve, are you sure that you could be really wise? You could, you could be like God if you would just not, if you'd eat that tree. I know he said not to, and it's because he doesn't want you to be as great as he is. Satan's been giving us those lies forever. Maybe for you, it's like, hey, I know I gave you a spouse, but this one's pretty hot. Hey, I know, I know, I gave you these things, but you're not, you're not satisfied. So you have this insatiable desire for more. So you're racking up significant amounts of debt because you can't be satisfied. What we have, for some reason, has never been enough, and it's been this way since we were created. Because Satan says, hey guys, what you have is good, but what you have is not enough. And so he gave these two. Like he gives me and you the chance to decide, do they want to do it God's way or do they want to do it their way? And they decided, if you know the story, to do it their way. And the one thing God asked them not to do 
which is not to eat of one particular tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Translated, they, this is perfect. Why would you know evil? Evil doesn't exist yet. And if you do this, you disobey God. It's the first sin. And now we finally, evil enters the scene. And so Satan said, you should try it. You should eat it. You have knowledge like God. And they did. And so what Satan did when they decided to do that, take this perfect scene and here comes sin into the world. It just completely ruins everything that God established. It's disgusting, right? All over my office floor. The reason I, I show you this is because right when we look at this right here, the question becomes not why does bad things happen to good people. The question is, how is God so good that in spite of what we do with our lives, in spite of the choices that we make, in spite of the sins that we commit, in spite of our decisions to go after these things that God has not given us because we think we know better than God, in spite of us constantly undoing God's good plan for our lives, and we make a mess, the question isn't how does bad things happen to good people. The question is, since there's no one good, how is God so faithful to us that he does good things in the midst of the messes of our lives that we make? Friends, cancer and brokenness and devastation and sadness and anxiety and depression are the consequences of what we've done to unravel this perfect thing that God made. And and God gave us something so perfect and so good and we, we, we made a mess of that. And in God's generosity and goodness, he continues to give us good things in spite of what we've done. It's not how could bad things happen to good people. It's since there are no such thing as good people, how is God so faithful that he does great things in the lives that we make messes of? And that passage of scripture I've been referencing, John 10, 10, has a latter part to it. The front of the part, front of the verse I've already told you, the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. He's been doing it since day one. But the latter part of that verse says, but Jesus Christ came into our lives so we can have life, and the Bible says, to the fullest. We're not talking, the Bible talks a lot about eternal life, but in John 10, 10, it's talking about this life that you and I have. Satan, can he, he wants to steal it from us. He wants to rob us from it. He wants to make a mess of it. And Jesus says, I'm trying to make right that thing that you, you, brought, you brought dirt and filth into your life. And Jesus says, I want to bring good things back into your life. I want to give your life to the fullest. And he gives us a way to, to do that. In Hebrews chapter 6, 7 through 8, 17 through 19. It says, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise to, to make these things right could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. I don't know about you. I asked this weekend, how many of you guys have had, been lied to, had a, had a promise broken? And every hand in the room obviously went up. I know you've had a promise broken in your life. So when you think about God making promises, if you've had a bunch of promises broken in your life, well, then maybe you have a hard time accepting that God would make good on his promise. But this, the, the Bible knows us, and so God went ahead of us to give uh, us hope in that. So God has given both his promise and his oath and it says these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore we have fled to refuge. Therefore we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold on to this hope that lies before us. The hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls and it leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Now obviously that's referencing the Bible says when Jesus went to the cross and he died that the veil in the in, in the sanctuary in, in, the, in the inner courts was ripped. And for a, just a quick history lesson 
So where the, where the holy of holies, where the, you know, where, where the presence of God was, the only person that could get in there was priests. And when Jesus went to the cross and he died, it gave all of us access to God's best. And when I read that about going from going through the curtain from one side to the other, I thought about my friend Mike. And not only is it a reference to we all have access to God. We no longer need to go into the, the holy of holies through a priest. You and I are welcomed into the presence of God because of what Jesus did. But I thought about my friend Mike and your friend Mike. And it talks about as we go through the curtain, and maybe it's even referencing the curtain of life. Because Mike, when he started getting sicker and sicker, he'd say, man, I want to close my eyes and I want to open them and I just want to be in heaven. I don't want to be hurting anymore. And Mike, all the way up until his last breath, knew that when I close my eyes and breathe my last and I go from the curtain of this life into the curtain of the next life, Mike had confidence all the way to his last breath based upon what God promised him and the hope that is an anchor to his soul that can be an anchor to our souls. That a God who cannot lie will see us from this life through to the next life. I want to just close with this. I hope it encourages you. And number one, I hope what encourages you is when stuff happens, which it will, it's because of, a, of the mess of our lives that we've made. But, but God wants to make right these things. Like he wants to meet us. It's not to say that hard things won't happen. But it's to say that these things are just, they're, we're passing through, right? right? The first verse that we read says, the seen things, this is temporary. Everything that goes on in our life that's filthy and hard and cancer and loss and sickness and divorce and death. All of those things are part of, of the grossness that we invited into our lives when we decided to abandon God in the very, very beginning. But Jesus wants to give us life to the fullest, but that life won't be perfectly made whole up until God comes and sets up his kingdom here on earth. But through this messy life, Jesus continues to want to give us fullness in the midst of it. Glimpses, as Jesus taught us to pray, he said, remember Jesus said, Heavenly Father, speaking to his dad, our dad, he said, will your kingdom come on earth as it already is in heaven? Help us see glimpses of heaven in the, what we do down here on earth. And Jesus has been trying to point us to the glory and the goodness of God since the moment he came. And in the book of Romans, we'll close with just a reminder that the writer leaves us with about the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus is what ultimately makes all this, all this mess that we make good. It doesn't fix the hurt. It doesn't fix the heartbreak. It doesn't mean that you'll no longer cry. It doesn't mean that all your, if you, if you raise, if you raise agriculture, all your crops are always going to go great. And it means that you're always going to have lots of money in the bank and you're always going to get the promotion that comes your way. And it, all, it means that you'll have all the money that you need. That's a prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel implies that God's going to just give us like a genie, like a rub of a lamp. And he's going to give, I'll give, uh, he'll give us that. And he'll give us that. And he'll give us that. Well, God's word doesn't promise that. But God's word does promise an anchor for our souls that when we get to the very end with nothing left, that we still have a hope that this is just temporary. And what's eternal we haven't seen yet, but he's promising to hold that for us until we get there because of the love of Jesus that makes right all of these things. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through the end of the passage, I'll read it from the message. It says, so what do you think? With God on our side like this, how can we lose? God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the very worst by sending his son. Is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? Let me just stop there. God saw our condition. Keep in mind, God made something perfect. 
And imagine like us, you, you and me being friends with Picasso or Van Gogh or Michelangelo and we're sitting there next to them and as they finish one of the most famous paintings that mankind has ever seen with the paint still wet, we just walk over and do this to the canvas and smear it. I bet you Picasso or Michelangelo or Van Gogh, I bet you they never invite us over to their art studio ever again. God painted something for us, made perfection. We ruined his best creation. We ruined the goodness and the perfection of what he did. And then the Bible says he then exposed himself to our condition by re-inviting us into his story and then putting his son Jesus, dropping him to the middle of our mess to redeem our story. Is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And who would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would even dare point a finger at us? I love that. It's like my daddy's bigger than your daddy. Life, whatever you bring, Satan, whatever you bring, you can't ultimately undo the perfect, complete, eternal thing that Jesus has done, no matter what comes against us. And it goes on to say, the one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to, try to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? I love the fact that Jesus, the Bible says Jesus is in front of God sticking up for us. And so maybe you, like me, maybe you're like, I'm not worthy. Man, well, I blew it. I messed up. Maybe you can't get over the affair you had. Maybe you can't get over. You cheated You cheated on this, your taxes, or you, you walked all over people to get where you are. Maybe you know you, you know you. You know the things that no one else knows about you that keeps you up at night with all these regrets. You know that you... You ruin your kids' lives with some of the decisions that you make. And so maybe you sit there and you go, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Can you believe that Jesus is right now standing before God going, God, don't listen to her. She is good enough. God, don't listen to him. I know they don't think they're good enough, but God's going, Jesus is going before God. Yeah, but don't listen to what they've done. Look at what I did. Jesus says, I did enough to cover all the things that they did. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. Not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in the scripture. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can get between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. I know I can't hear you, but right where you're at, say amen. <laughs> if you were here, I'd say, no, say it again, but you might have said it just fine, so I won't make you say it again. So family, it's not about why do bad things happen to good people. It's about a good God that knows we can never be good enough and constantly fights on our behalf for us to not be held hostage by the bad things that we've done but to invite us into a relationship with Jesus so that when we get to the end and we maybe feel I just want to close my eyes and not hurt anymore and open them to the glory of heaven that has always been the anchor for my soul that is what God did to bad people so that he could get to know us and make us better. I, I read it on the back of a book. My family, one of my very first jobs was at family Christian stores. And it was on the back of the book I read when I flipped it over. I think it was, I think it was called, I forget. I think it was called Too Busy Not to Pray or something like that. But the, the saying on the back of the book stuck with me. Whatever book it was, it said, God loves you exactly the way you are. 
but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. So right where you are right now, you're loved just like that. But God is looking into your life and looking into the story he wants to unfold in your life. God's looking where you are. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says he's got plans for you. And maybe you tried to thwart those plans and run away from those plans. Maybe you maybe you made decisions that should have completely un, undone and wrecked those plans. And God is so good that right where you are, no matter how far you've ran, no matter how far you've gotten away, God has been chasing you down. And he says, I love you right there, right where you at, right where you are. I remember the plans I gave for you. I remember the plans I have for you. I remember what I've done on behalf of you. And God says, I love you so much. I'm going to meet you right there. And I want to love you so much. So you're not going to stay there. You're going to be more and more like Jesus. Until ultimately, you're going to close your eyes one day. Breathe your last breath. And you're going to be face to face. Laying crowns at the feet of the one who paid everything. So that you and your life could be restored. So I'm going pray for you. Let me just pray that maybe today... Maybe today, maybe just as a way to honor our friend Mike, and you just make a decision that says, "I, I, I gotta go. I gotta. I want to see my brother on the other side. I want the hope that's an anchor to my soul, like Mike had as an anchor to his soul." So, God, I, I for every single man, woman that's listening. First off, I thank you as I prayed in the worship center, just just a couple doors down this weekend that your Holy Spirit would be working in and around and through everybody that's listening. God, I think about your Holy Spirit. I know how when I'm listening to your Holy Spirit that it feels like a tingle in my, my, my butterflies and sometimes I get like a knot in my throat and I know that I need to respond. I don't even know what, I, don't even know what, what, what I mean when I know I need to respond. I just know you're drawing me. You're compelling me. I feel you at work. And so a lot of times for me, I just sort of begin to pray, okay, have your way. God, help me. I surrender to you. Help me to be more like you, God. Come to the, be the center of my life. Teach me what it means to, to live for you, to live a life in a way that honors you, that points people to your grace and your love. And so, Father, I pray for those that are listening. And I, and I referenced my wife and I who just celebrated 20 years and soon we want to renew our vows that we won't be any more married, but we'll say to one another yet again, I, I still choose you. And so to that person that's listening to this, there's nothing wrong with just saying a prayer that says, God, I still choose you in spite of all we've been through. Even though I ran and I, I cheated on you, God, in spite of all that, you've chosen me. So this is my declaration to you that says, I still choose you and I surrender myself to you. So God, I just ask you that you'd meet us right where we are in a way that we'd feel it, that we know it. And maybe, maybe, maybe today, the catalyst of today being the loss of our friend Mike, but in honor of his legacy that he poured into us, that we would know more and more of the grace and the mercy of Jesus, that maybe today you'd meet us right here and we'd give ourselves to you completely. I pray you'd do that. I pray that over every man and woman that's listening, I pray that we'd be a church that would constantly be pointing people to the grace and the mercy of Jesus and, and drawing their story, their life trajectory to just run and dive into the goodness and the love and the generosity of a God that wants to meet them right where they are. And he doesn't want to strip them of all the things that they enjoy. He wants to treat, show them how to give them life to the absolute fullest. And so we pray that you do that using us, our church. This thing that we have inherited now through the legacy of Mike as Mike left us, Impact Community Church. May we continue the legacy of pointing people to Jesus. This inheritance that we've been given to through Mike. May we make you proud and make our brother proud. I don't know how any of this works, but I pray using my finite imaginative brain that 
week after week, Mike calls over, looks over the banister of heaven down at us, and he calls over saints that have gone before us. And he looks over the banister of heaven and he says, that's my little church that I poured my life into. And that he would see us pouring ourselves out for the sake of the gospel for this city. That Sacramento, California would know you more because we are here pointing them to Jesus. We pray all of that in the perfect name of Jesus, a name that makes sense out of the messes that we have made of our lives. Jesus name. Amen. I love you guys. Thanks for joining us this week on Life with Impact. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Life with Impact. And to watch the full virtual service, make sure to check us out on YouTube at Impact CC. Have a great week.